I'll be reading today's scripture in Spanish and then in English. Colosenses 3, 23 y 24. Hagan lo que hagan. Trabajen de buena gana, como para el Señor y no como para nadie en este mundo. Conscientes de que el Señor los recompensará con la herencia. Ustedes sirven a Cristo el Señor. Colossians 3, 23-24 Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nathan. Welcome. This is uh, what weekend? Labor Day weekend. Um, honestly, how many of you know what Labor Day weekend is for? Like how it originated, maybe? Um, I, you know, we have so many holidays, we never ask the question of how did this come to be. Labor Day weekend, on a more simple level, was it's just a day to celebrate the American workers of our society who keep us going economically, socially. Um, it just celebrates that we are a nation of hard, strong workers, and we are here because of that. Uh, the little darker history of it is that there was a time when factory workers, owners, used to abuse their employees. We're talking 14 hours a day, six days a week, sometimes seven, no breaks. And there was a rebellion and revolt. It happened in Chicago. And out of that, eventually came labor laws and equality and unions and just a sense of, wait, what is a reasonable way that we should work? And so Labor Day kind of converged, and now it's a little more positive, but we are thankful for all those who have worked and who retired, and this is Labor Day weekend. Uh, look around this room. The fact that we're having worship in here is a result of a lot of labor. Think about the wood, the lumber, carried in, processed to make pews. Think about the carpet, the electricity, the factories that are needed, the windows. Think about just even the paper, the bulletin we have, the paper mills. And I'm not talking about just even, even our young son who is substituting our organist. There's so many people involved to make this day happen, workers. So today I want to talk about work and the theology of work. And the title, actually, I borrowed it from one of the authors of the book that I read this week. It was so well written. Idle work and idle work. So those of you who are able to see, you can see the, the difference. So the impact of work is great, and it's all of us around us. And I want to just say, God intended for you and me to work. Work was not a punishment. Work was actually given to humanity before the sin. So if you turn to your Bibles, if you... Open Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. What's the first thing you see in the whole Bible? In the beginning, God worked. God created the head. The first verse in the whole Bible is God working. He's bringing things to being. He worked through his words and he created it. We see God working. What's the first mandate that God gives humans in chapter 1? Rule over the earth, and the animals. He's giving them what? Work. Why is he doing that? Because you're made in my image. The image of God is not a lazy, chubby God sitting on a throne eating grapes with like angels tending him. 
He's a God who has always been at work. He continues to work in your life today. So work is something that the world has kind of said, oh, I have to go to work. Like, don't raise your hand, but how many of us said that? I have to go to work. Oh, it's Monday. And TGIF stands for what? Thank God it's Friday. Why? Because, oh, work is over. Now it's time to play. And so we, we look at work as if it's something like a punishment. And, and so today I want to talk about that. But work was never intended to be that way. When did work become frustrating? When Adam and Eve sinned. And so work, Genesis 3, 17 and 19, God tells Adam this. Cursed is the ground that you're working because of you. In pain you shall eat it of it all the days of your life. In other words, when I provided for you and all you had to do was just good, simple work, now you're going to have to put in some hard, sweaty effort for you to just eat. He uses that word, verse 19. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. So when sin entered, work didn't get cursed. If you notice, what got cursed? The ground, the environment got cursed, which makes work's work harder for Adam and Eve. So work is not evil. The way we work in an environment has gotten tougher. And so work is frustrating. This was all because of sin. And so great efforts, thorns and thistles will be part of your work environment. And some of you, um, this is not how Paul uses it, but when you look, go to work and you're not having a great time at work, some of you are like, oh, that coworker is a thorn in my side. My manager, he just makes my life harder. That's the direct result of sin and how work has become just not the way God intended. So let's go to Colossians 3, 22 to 24. I want to read the verse before and after to have a little more context. Let's read it together. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So let's talk about this for a little bit. Um, work is being redefined by Paul and for the gospel in a way the gospel does. Gospel always has a way of bringing back and restoring the world back the way that God had always intended. And though Adam and Eve sinned and work became this terrible nightmare and burden and, and it became harder to eat because of Jesus Christ, What's Paul saying? I want you to look at work differently. Um, how many of you plan to get a good job when you graduate school one day? You, but I, I, yeah. How many of you are so glad you retired already? But you put in the hard work. How many of you are working right now? Right? And so we're, we're in this together. So whether you are in work, you're going to enter work, or you got out of work, today's text is challenging us how are you thinking? What is your theology of work? Because here's the good news. Here's where it benefits us. That one little thought of who I work for changes everything about my job. It could be the most grueling job, and it could even be a bondservant or slaves, but it will change that. Not to qualify it, 
the word is bondservant, not slave. But there were three types of slaves in the Paul's time. There were prisoners of war who were treated like slaves. There were those who were taken over by nations, so they were made slaves. But the most common type and the word that Paul intends in his mind is bondservant. Bondservants were actually well-educated. Some, t- some of them were college-educated, wealthy, brilliant people who became slaves to pay off debt. How do I know this? I looked up Biola Research, and a man, Professor Lee McDonald, I love what he wrote. Many prominent people in the ancient world were slaves, including teachers, writers, politicians, artisans, and philosophers. So the word slave is bondservant. Some slaves were better off financially than many who were born free or had purchased their freedom. Interesting. And slaves often anticipated their freedom after 10 or 20 years of service to their masters. Yet some chose to stay as slaves. That's how good it was. So this is not the same as 16th, 17th, 18th century America where we use chattel service. We forced people of different ethnicities into slavery by force or killing them and then murdering their families if they didn't into slavery. That is not what this text means. And in, guess what? In 19th century, Christian American slave owners used this text to say, hey, if you want to worship your God whom you're singing about, remember this verse. And that is not the way God intended it. So in Paul's context, this is why context is important. These were educated, sometimes very brilliant people of society who worked off a debt, and they even stayed with them. So, but let, for the sake of argument, let's say their master was cruel and unfair. Paul is saying to them, I want you to think differently about your job. You may have a terrible master. You may have an earthly master that's far from perfect. I want you to think about that master as Jesus whom you're working for, not that person. So Colossian text is really asking this question, does how your work change if you knew Jesus was your boss? Now take a moment, those of you working, if you were to really think about your career and job and what you're doing now and say, my boss is wacky, but that's not whom I'm working for. I work for Jesus. Would that change? your attitude, behavior, performance in work? I think so. I think this is where Paul is going with this text. And because the gospel changes how we do work, it redeems and reflects a God who is at work doing all these wonderful work. It's not what you do, Paul is asking. It's who ultimately you're working for. So just that alone, I think, is is just a great reminder for all of us today. Um, so challenge to Christians, what are you motivated by and how will you work differently? So in this book, um, there, I read two books this week, uh, one audio book and skimmed through one just to be honest, but the book that I read through that was really good is The Gospel at Work by Sebastian Traeger and Greg Gilbert. And he's the one that coined this phrase, idle work and work as an idol or idle work. There's another good book by Tim Keller and I encourage working people and future working people to read. It's called Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller. And what's fascinating is they both had very similar message. And I want to share some of them with you. But for Sebastian and Greg Gilbert, 
They were saying there's two dangers that all of us could fall into with work. You ready for this? Let's get ready. The first is idle work. Idle doesn't mean doing nothing. And what he says is idle work is it's a cynical negative view of work. Oh, I hate this job. Uh, just this one week, just, just for fun. How many of you had a job you just didn't like? We all did at one point, right? It's a job, you're just doing it for the paycheck. You couldn't care less how the company does. Just give me my darn paycheck, and I'm looking for the real career. This is just a stepping stone. This is idle work. You're just doing it just to get through it for your real job. And so it's bare minimum effort. And in today, if you look Google quiet quitting, it's become this trend. How many of you heard quiet quitting? It's this trend where people are just giving up, doing above and beyond. They're, it's quietly quitting. They're just doing. New York Times talks about it. LA Times, Wall Street Journal. It's, it's their way of saying, I'm done. And this is idle work. So slowly, we do the job. We stop going above and beyond because I'm waiting for something. I really want to do what I want. This job is a burden. And so what does Paul say in Colossians 3? Whatever you do, do it all wholeheartedly as if you're working for Christ, not for man. And so in idle work, Sebastian Traeger says this, one of the most subtle and perhaps most dangerous form of idleness in our work is our failure to recognize God's purpose for us in the workplace. We know what he's saying there. You may have a job you dislike, but check this out. You may dislike it because it's forming your character, it's making you build perseverance, it's stretching you in ways that you would never have gone. And what is God doing? He's building a purpose in you. But there's something else going on. Your job, even if it's, I used to staple uh, tickets on my parents' dry cleaners, dirty clothes, you ticket it, and I'm like, this is the life. I didn't say that. It was pretty terrible. Like smelled and you get dirty clothes. And, it's, and I'm like, and my joy was actually I'm helping my parents. But I'm like, this is not how I want to do the rest of my life. But what if it was? What he's saying is even if that's what you do for the rest of your life, rejoice and do it wholeheartedly. Because the theology of work is this, and it's in Psalm 90. This is Moses saying to God, let your work be shown to your servants and let your glorious power to their children. So show us your work in us. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So a lot of commentators, the, what they interpret Moses is saying here is this. God, please connect everything in my life and all of my work to whatever you desire to do. Establish your work even in the meager, small things that I do. So if we were asked as workers, what are, you doing? what are you doing for the Lord? People will say, you know, on Sundays I greet, I fold a bulletin, um, I, I help out with the praise team. But the correct answer for Christians should be this. What are you doing for the Lord? I work in the supermarket, I, I punch tickets, I, I joyfully look at the people that God brings in my way, I do whatever I can to help my boss and the business because I want to say, God, thank you for this job. In other words, 
They never separate. If you look at the whole Bible, and you could study it, I didn't know this until this week, preparing for the sermon. The Bible never separates work from God's work. In other words, we don't go, I have church work. Now I have to go back to my work. In the Bible, you'll never see that. From Paul, from Galatians to epistles to Old Testament, all of it was God's work. This is why Paul says, whatever you do, even if you're working, polishing shoes, do it for the glory of God. Um, I want to show you this video. It's two minutes. High school kid working at Taco Bell. I, I don't think there's anybody in this room, high school students, going, that's where I want to go. I want to graduate and work at permanently full-time Taco Bell. Because we're like, it's too beyond us. We're too proud. Like, we don't work at Taco Bell. But I want to tell you, man, food workers, food service, the people that we think have the lower jobs, these all matter to God. It's our pride that says, hey, I can't do this. But the point being, I want you to see this video of a high school student. Look at how he joyfully does his job and makes a difference. gets on the news for this reason. A touching moment at a local Taco Bell has gone viral, and it started after an employee signs to a deaf customer. That exchange was caught on camera and is now being shared across the world. As the Now's Lauren Wilson explains, the moment was two years in the making. Caleb Francis is your typical 18-year-old, just trying to figure out life after high school. I'm always trying to, like, keep busy, so whatever I can do to not sit around and do nothing is kind of what I like to do. But when it came to choosing electives in school two years ago, he knew he wanted to try something a little different. And I didn't want to take art, I didn't want to take ceramics. I thought like, oh, you know, like everyone I know here takes Spanish, you know, French, my dad speaks French. So he took two years of sign language, never knowing when or where he would use it. I was like, all right, like, I'll just take sign language, like, no big deal. Like, I wasn't like, oh, I really want to take it. And it was like, I picked it up like that. I definitely knew that there was going to become a point where I could use it. But one day, as he was working here at Taco Bell during the day shift, that thought became a reality as a customer who was deaf stood in line, lost and confused. Until Caleb stepped in. He wanted a side of salsa and sour cream, but he didn't know how to like order a side of salsa and sour cream. And then we just kind of started communicating a little bit through that. Another customer in line caught the interaction on camera, posted on social media, and that's when it went viral. When I saw the video, I was very, very happy and very proud. He's so super with customers. With over 200 shares in less than two days, Caleb tells me for him, it's just about helping someone in need and speaking the language he's grown to love. I think the biggest misconception about all of this is people say like, oh, you probably made his day like so much easier. But what people don't understand is that it is just as exciting for me to get to sign to people. So when someone says, oh, I sign, it's like, oh, that's, it's so exciting to me. Caleb tells me that since his interaction, he has had three other deaf people come in to specifically sign their orders with him. He says he's going to continue to practice and become more fluent. For the now, I'm Lauren Wilson. Whatever we do, do it all wholeheartedly for God. And so he found an opportunity while doing this part-time job to use whatever God's gifted him. So the point of this is work hard. Work hard. Not workaholic, just work hard. Do well. 
Because you just never know how God will use that job in that stage in your season of life to make an impact for his name. And so one of the posts I wrote was that the customer was so frustrated. And if it wasn't for him, uh, you know, he just could have walked away with this, this, this terrible feeling. And so Colossians 3, idle work is something that Paul is saying, that's not part of us. That's not who we are. Uh, idle work is basically saying, you know, when it's important to me and when I think it's important, then I'll work hard. But if it's like, I don't get it, I don't care about it, let me just do whatever I can to get by, that's idle work. Bond servants, obey your masters. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. And so signs in the book, I just read three things and I'm not going to talk about it. Three signs that you're doing idle work. Number one, work is merely a means to an end a place to serve your own needs. Two, your work totally frustrates you. Three, your work becomes divorced from your Christian discipleship. So let's move on to the next one. Work as an idol. I think this is where many of us actually fall into. (laughs) So human nature is to worship something. Uh, If you don't worship God, what do you worship? Money. You worship your family. You worship your job. You worship your family your hobbies. A lot of us will worship our careers. When we say worship, um, this is the way the author defines it. For many people today, their passion is their job, and all of the things their job can provide for them, money, status, identity, pleasure, and purpose. Our jobs capture our hearts and our devotion. We give ourselves to them day in and day out. That's when you worship your job. In other words, you find meaning and purpose and existence in your job rather than in God. That's when work has become an idol. Some of you do that with your families. There's nothing wrong with loving families, but if you love family, your identity, your purpose, pleasure, everything comes from that, you're worshiping them and God is a side product, that's idolatry. And so this means we have to recognize in idol worship, we have to transition from finding worth and self-esteem in our job. So, when you go to a business meeting or conferences, what do you say? Hey, my name is Jason. And you say, hey, Billy or George or Tom, what do you do? And so a lot of us think hard to make sure what we say is so impressive. I direct the customer affair of geographical, international, marketing, uh, commerce supplies. I have, I'm just making that up. And we say things to make ourselves look popular and cool. Why? Because we want our work to make us look more important than we are. And so this is where we look at jobs and it gives us worth. And, and this is the danger of pride, seeking work as our source of identity. C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. So he says, we say people are proud of being rich, clever, or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer, cleverer, and better lookinger than others. And so with, when jobs become a place where we could say, hey, uh, the, the, the Reverend Dr. Jason Coe is, is in the room, and we're like, yes, I'm here. Um, that's a problem. That's what he's saying. So problem is work is good, but it makes a terrible God. Work is good, but it makes a terrible God. 
So when our job gives us worth and our identity, guess what happens to you when you get criticized for your work? Even a constructive criticism. Well, I never, you don't know who, what I did, and you don't know, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've accomplished? We get offended, we get angry, we get outraged, because it's your identity that's being attacked, not your job, not your performance, and we can't separate that. By the way, can we say criticisms are essential to life, and we have become a society that says, don't ever criticize me. You will fail in life if you don't know how to understand and receive criticism well. Even the worst criticisms. Healthy people take even the worst criticism and filter out what's true and what's not. But we've become a society, if you criticize me at all, I'll leave this job, or I don't, wanna, I don't like this place. And this is a problem. So we can't find our worth and meaning in our job. That's what the author is saying. That's what Paul is saying. And the signs that work is our idol, according to Gospel at Work, the, the book, is saying your work is the primary source of your satisfaction. Um, pastors fall into this all the time. Hey, we got 50 new members. Offering is off the roof. Hey, guys, life is good. Amen. Attendance drops. We are in the red. People are quitting left and right. I hate my life. Pastors are that melodramatic. I don't know about you, but it's always a battle. Two, your work is all about being the best so you can make a name for yourself. Uh, I just like doing my job well. No, but deep inside, you want to be known. You want to be recognized. And you know how you know you want to be recognized? When someone else is recognized and you're not, you're like, wait, I did better than her. Why am I not recognized? Lastly, your, your work becomes primarily about making a difference in the world. Now, I thought, I read that and I said, did I read that correctly? And this is what the author is saying. When you work to primarily make a difference in the world, the prop, that's a good, noble effort, but he's saying the problem is that the value of work is ultimately determined by its impact in the world. The value of work is the work. God's faithfulness and the way he looks at you is how you do even the most mundane things joyfully with excellence with gratitude, because you're serving who? God, not men. And so, work was never intended by God for us to find our meaning and worth. And that's what the fall did. Adam and Eve, your worth and identity are tied with me. Adam and Eve said, no, I want to do what I want. And so since then, we've been pursuing uh, a life where we try to prove ourselves to the world, recognize me, affirm me, look how important I am. And what Paul is saying is, let's go back to the gospel. We need to look at these two and repent and turn to the gospel. The gospel says this, our value, your value, your identity, your worth, your praise, your self-esteem is already been settled. And you've been praised, you've been affirmed in Jesus Christ. He accepts you. Your identity, your, your, your being, your, the reason you exist matters is because Jesus says, I delight in you. And so Tim Keller writes in his book, the gospel frees us from the relentless pressure of having to prove ourselves. I'm tired of having to prove myself. I hope you are too. And secure our identity through work, for we are already proven and secure in what? In Jesus Christ. 
teenagers and college students, if you could grasp this and you don't have to be a people pleaser and not be afraid of the bosses and people, this will free you into confidence and security. And even when you mess up, you will go, it's okay, this hurts, and I'm embarrassed. But boy, this is not my worth because my worth is already settled. It actually frees you to run harder and faster. It's not what your parents say. It's not what your peers say. It's not what your paycheck says. And ironically, it makes you run harder because you've been free. Verse 24 of this verse is of Colossians, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. What's Paul saying? You're going to get it. You're going to receive what's coming to you. So when you see the prize that's ahead of you, even if you have the worst boss, manager, job, or company, you can do it wholeheartedly. Sincerity of heart. So if you notice here, Paul doesn't say to the slaves, do the work. Don't just do the work. Do it wholeheartedly. And then he says what? Do it with fullness of your heart through the gospel. Um, as we kind of write this up, I, 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 just, I, I look for illustrations and examples, and I keep coming back to this. And I, I want to just say to you, I, I think I genuinely see this in two people in my life. Genuinely, wholeheartedly. They're not perfect, but this was my mom and dad. Immigrant parents coming to America in 1979, not speaking a lick of English. They learned about hard, I learned about hard work from watching them. My mom worked at a factory, and then they both worked at a dry cleaner. Six days a week, 12 hours a day, 100-degree weather in New Jersey humidity, pressing hot steam pa- on pants, about 200 garments a day. And as they did this, we never went on one family vacation when I was a kid. You know why? Because if we had a Labor Day weekend, we still went to church because they served and never dropped and missed Sunday service. They were active. So I was like, oh, that's weird. My friends are going to Disneyland. How come I can't go? Um, But as I'm watching them, I'm seeing their motivation. In their accomplishments, this is what they did in their 25 years of dry cleaning. They paid off a house. They purchased six cars over 20 years, sent three kids to college. They never tithed less than 10% of their gross to the church. And they nurtured all three of us to faith in Christ so that all of us are active in serving the Lord and you cannot shake Jesus out of us. How do they do that? They never looked at their work as resentment. What I struck by as I think back about it, they supported the family with the work. They paid the bills for sure. But here's what I saw. They loved and thanked God for the opportunity to have their own business, to make a living. They were so amazed that God was blessing them enough so that we were making in the black. And they couldn't care less, here it is, about what anyone thought of them. You're a dry cleaner? They couldn't care less. Can you imagine what it's like to be freed from fear of what people think of you? Amen? And so they worked hard, grueling work all day, tiring work, and they served the Lord, prepared all that they had, and they said, thank you, Jesus. I have never heard them once complain. They did say it's hot. 
And so later on, the reason why my brother, sister, and I went to work was every pants that I pressed in 100-degree weather and I was sweating too was every pants I do, my dad and mom doesn't have to do because they did it for us. Friends, this is Colossians 3, 23. We miss out on the witness, testimony, and the work of God for generation to generation when we look at our work as a burden, as a pain. Wherever job you're in, it doesn't mean be abused. It doesn't mean, you know, break labor laws. It does mean you work for someone else. You work to please someone else. And that motivation of your worth is settled in the person to whom you work for. So work is not a burden. It is a pleasure. And so whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so on this Labor Day weekend, what does it look like if you looked at your career no matter where you are at this point, because it's never ending, and you realize Jesus is the boss that I want to magnify and please. How would that change how we look at labor in America? So you're not working to get that retirement. You're working right now to say, Lord, this is an opportunity to declare your greatness. Work hard. Do well. Magnify God. Let's pray. Lord, may work and our perception and theology of it be what we see in the Bible. That you gave it to us for purpose and meaning with you to reflect your nature. It actually makes a society go, oh, God, I'm thankful that SoCal Edison, people are working hard to keep electricity going right now. I'm thankful that water is being pumped, and even in the middle of a drought, that there's measures. I'm thankful for the faithful work of the people in this congregation, seen and unseen in the small ways. Some of them worked a little too long, Lord, because they loved it so much. But I thank you, God, for us to express the life that you've given to us through work. Now, some of us are gearing up for a future and a calling and a career. And as they have this as a foundation, may they be ready to receive the calling that you will give to them. Prepare them, Lord. So whether it's small work or big work, may they do all of it with excellence, with gratitude. May they do it diligently and, as your word says, wholeheartedly. God, we are grateful for work. May it be redeemed in the gospel of Jesus Christ in whom we find our worth. It is in his name we pray. Amen.